0: Chapter 5. You're right. I shouldn't have interfered with your grief. I'm sorry. That doesn't mean you were right to read my letter. I still kind of hate you for that. I've been trapped here for 15 minutes, staring at a blank piece of paper, trying to remember how it felt to write to her, to know my thoughts were more permanent than a conversation. Instead, all I can think about is you and your me too and what it meant, and whether your pain is anything like mine. Not that it's any of my business. I don't know if you'll ever even read my apology, but I need to say the words to someone. Guilt has been riding my shoulders a while now. Not guilt because of you, because of someone else. I owe this someone an apology, but I don't know him any better than I know you. I'm certainly not going to start writing your notes to two strangers. For now, this is the best I can do. And I'll just have to hope that the guilt catches up. Have you ever heard of Kevin Carter? He won a Pulitzer for a photograph of a dying girl. It's a pretty famous photo, so maybe you've seen it. A little girl was starving in the Sudan, trying to reach a feeding station. She needed to stop to rest because she was barely more than a skeleton held together by a stretch of skin. She needed to rest because she wasn't strong enough to get the food in one trip. So she rested in the dirt. This tiny little girl, while a vulture sat nearby, waiting. Do you get it? Waiting. For her to die. I think of that picture sometimes, of that moment. Sometimes I feel like the girl... Sometimes I feel like the bird. Sometimes I feel like the photographer, unable to do anything but... Watch. Kevin Carter killed himself after the word the Pulitzer. Sometimes I when, I think I understood why. I need a cigarette. Moths flush around the porch light, pinging against the glass bulb. It's almost midnight on Thursday and the neighbourhood is nearly silent. The house behind me is not... Alan, my stepfather, is still awake and my mother's out with friends, so I'm not ready to go inside yet. Alan doesn't like me much. Trust me, it's mutual. The letter had been sitting in my back pocket all night. I had no idea when she wrote it, but it had to have been within the last 48 hours. It wasn't there on Tuesday because I looked. Melonhead was riding me then because I was late and no one ever wants to hear my excuses. I had detention, I said, when I finally showed up. He was pouring fuel into one of the mows in the equipment shed. It was hot as hell in there, and his shirt was sticking. The space isn't all that big, and it always smells like a mixture of cut grass and gasoline. I like it. I didn't like the way Melonheads looked at me. A disgusted glance, as if I were just another slacker. You can make up your lost hour on Saturday, he said. I can make it up on Thursday. No, you'll make it up on Saturday. I held up my slip. I'm only assigned to work Tuesdays and Thursdays. He shrugged and turned toward the door to the shed. You're assigned to work from four till eight. It's ten past five. You can make up your hour on Saturday. Look, man, I can stay until nine. You think I want to stay late for you? Of course not. He wanted to get home to his wife and kids so he'd have more stories to bore you with next time. I punched the wall beside my mower and swore, you think I want to be here at all? He stopped in the doorway and for a second I wondered if he was going to take a swing at me. But he looked at me and his voice didn't change. You should be grateful to be here. If you want me to sign your slip for eight hours, you'll show up on Saturday. Melanhan began to turn but paused. And watch your language. I don't want that talker here. I opened my mouth to fire back at him but he just stood there, sunlight at his back. And I knew he'd be on the phone with the judge in a heartbeat if I pushed it. I hate that he can hold this over my head. I remember the sentencing, thinking that mowing, mowing a cemetery would be easy, that no one would hassle me. I didn't realise this programme would involve a guy who'd get a power trip from ordering me around. I half crumpled a slip in my fist. You can't make me work on Saturday. If you don't like it, show up on time. Tonight, I showed up early, hoping I'd earn a gold star and a free pass. No dice. But I did find a letter from the cemetery girl. Part of me wonders if I'd be better off without it here in my hands. It's depressing and intriguing and frightening all at once. I don't know the photograph she's talking about. I didn't know the first one either with the scream and the flowers and the blood and the gun. I almost don't need to see them because her words zoom in on the details with painful focus. But now, reading her lines about the vulture and the little girl, I want to go look it up. The side gate rattles, and I fold the letter up to slide it under my thigh. I'm expecting my mother, but then I hear the sniff, and I know it's Rev. He's allergic to everything, including most people. You're out like late, I say. Rev is more likely to hang me out, drag me out of bed at six in the morning than to come calling near midnight. They took in a baby this afternoon; she won't go to sleep. Mum says it's separation anxiety. Dad said she'll settle in soon. I said I need to take a walk. He's not irritated. He's used to it. Jeff and Kristen are foster parents. They live on the other side of the block, but their backyard is diagonal from ours, so we've always gotten a first-hand look at the kids who roll through the house. Rev was the first. He showed up ten years ago when he was seven and scrawny, with coke bottle glasses and allergies so bad he could barely breathe. His clothes were too small and his arm was in a cast and he wouldn't speak. Jeff and Kristen were, are nice people on the planet. They're nice to me and that's saying something. But Rev ran away from them anyway. I found him in my closet, curled up in the back corner, peeking at me through shaggy hair while clutching a ratty old Bible. I had a box of Legos in there, so I thought he was there to play. Like kids routinely showed up in my closet or something. I don't know what I was thinking. I folded myself in there with him and started building. Turned out he was scared of Jeff and Kristen because they're black. His dad had told him that black people were evil and sent by the devil. The irony here is that Rev's dad used to beat the crap out of him. He usually quoted the Bible while he did it. Jeff and Kristen adopted Rev five years ago. He said it was no big deal that they had been the only parents he'd known for years anyways, and it was just a piece of paper. But it was a big deal. It settled something inside him. He wears contacts during the day now, but his hair is still on the longish side. My sister, Carrie, used to say he hides behind it. When Rev was eight, eight, he told Jeff he didn't want anyone to ever be able to hurt him again. Kristen signed him up for martial arts the next day. He's kept up with it, almost to the extreme. If the glasses and the allergies and the shyness had you thinking loser, you wouldn't say it to his face. He's built like an MMA fi- fighter. Add a best friend with a record, me, and most kids at our school give him a, whole ber- a wide berth. Also ironic, because Rev is about as aggressive as an old golden retriever. I move over to give him room to sit down, and he drops onto the step beside me. What were you reading, he says. He must have seen me across the yard. I hesitate before answering. And that's ridiculous. He knows every secret I have. He watched my family fall apart, including my mother's misguided attempts to glue the pieces back together. He even knows the truth about Carrie, and I thought I was going to take that to the grave with me last May. I still hesitate. I feel like maybe I'm breaking a confidence if I tell anyone about the cemetery girl. Not like I know you even know who she is. I deliberate for another moment. Rev doesn't say anything. Finally, I pull the slip of paper out from beneath my leg and hand it to him. He re- reads silently for a minute, then hands it back. Who is she? I have no idea. I pause. The daughter of Zoe Rebecca Thorne. What? I turn the letter over in my hand, sliding the paper between my fingers. I found a letter sitting against a greystone last week. I read it. It was talking about. I hesitate again. No matter what Rev knows, it was easier to talk about life and death with an anonymous reader. I have to clear my throat. It was about losing someone suddenly. And you thought of Kerry. I nod. We sit there in silence for a while, listening to the moths dance against the light bulb. Somewhere down the road, a siren flares to life. Just as suddenly, it's gone. Rev says, but this is a different letter. Yeah, I wrote back to the first one. You wrote back? I didn't think she'd read it. What makes you so sure it's a girl? It's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. Then again, his first question was, who is she? What makes you so sure it's a girl? The fact that you wouldn't be sitting here mooning over a letter from a guy. Let me see it again. I do. While he reads, I play his words back in my head. Mooning? Am I mooning? I don't even know her. Sometimes I feel like the girl, he quotes. Exactly. This is a notebook paper, he says. I know. The cemetery is local. It's occurred to me that she might be another student at Hamilton High, high School. Dude, she could be like 11. Okay, that hasn't occurred to me. I snatched a letter back from him. Shut up. Doesn't matter. He sobers. I'm just yanking your chain. She doesn't sound 11. He pauses. Maybe that letter was left for you. No, she was pretty pissed that I wrote back. Now he hesitates. I don't mean that she left the letter for you. It takes a second to figure this this tone. Rev, if you start preaching at me, I'm going in the house. I'm not preaching. No, he's not. Yet. He still has that old Bible I found him clutching in my closet. It was his mother's. He reads it about 20 times. He's read it about... 20 times. He'll debate theology with anyone who's interested, and I'm not on that list. Jeff and Kristen used to take him to church, but he said he didn't like that he couldn't live by his own interpretation. What he didn't say was that looking up at a man in pulpit reminded him in a pulpit reminded him too much of his father. Rev doesn't walk around quoting Bible verses or anything, usually, but his faith is rock solid. I once asked him how he can believe in a providential God when he barely survived living with his father. He looked at me and said, because I did survive. And there's no arguing that. I'm wishing I hadn't told him about the letters now. I don't want a religious analysis. Don't call it God then, he says. Call it fate. Don't you find it interesting that of all the people who could have found that letter, you did? This one. This is one of the things I love best about Rev. never force anything on anyone. I nod. Do you want to write back? I don't know. Liar. He's right. I do want to write back. In fact, I'm already planning what to say.